This week we have a terrific episode with a pair of guests from Tequila Tromba. Rodrigo Cedeño is the CEO Mexico and COO as well as the apprentice distiller. And Nicole McCallum is their vice president of marketing. We have a fascinating discussion with Rodrigo about his family history and the techniques and processes involved in producing a premium agave tequila, while with Nicole we talk about the importance of connecting with consumers on a personal level and the effort and challenges involved in marketing a premium product in a crowded market. As always, make sure you check out the links in the show notes and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kip Saunders. This is Dan Soretta. How are we doing? I'm doing uh, awesome, thanks. No real complaints there. How about yourself? Things with you? Uh, you know, yeah, we're back in red zone hell, so uh, that's um, true. just uh, enjoying serving 10 people till 9 p.m. every night. <laughs> <laughs> just what you get into the bar business yeah. for. Um, yeah, well, that, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, we have a great show for you today, especially a little bit different. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a different angle on today's show. We have with us um, Rodrigo Sedano and Nicole McCallum from Tromba Tequila. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about Tromba and um, touching a little bit on the, on the marketing that goes into promoting a brand. Before we do that, we'll bring them in shortly. We should mention that if you like what you're hearing on the Industry Podcast, the best way to support us is to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. In addition, if you'd like to be on the podcast, you can DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. A shout out to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design, as usual, for the amazing artwork he does for the show. We got a lot to talk about, so let's just dive right in. Sounds good. We'll bring in Rodrigo Sedano and Nicole McCallum. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're great. How are you guys? Yeah, you know, uh, we call it COVID good. That is correct. <laughs> as good as you can be during this time. <laughs> Average. <laughs> yeah. So actually, well, let's just, I just want to dive into some of these conversations right away. I'll start with you, Nicole. Like, now that we're all in this disastrous situation, how do you go about marketing? And like, and what is your specific role in the company? And then is, is it, has it become more challenging during the COVID time? So I'm actually head of marketing globally, and I came in during the COVID time. So, oh, okay. so I, I, you don't know anything else. <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah, but I think our goal is, you know, it's very similar to other people's goals. We just want people to be aware of our product. We want them to pull it off the shelf, give it a try, walk into those great establishments. And, you know, when it's on the menu, choose that. And, you know, we want, we just want people to share this great experience from this amazing product that we make. So mm-hmm. you know, we're just trying to make sure they know about us and really be as authentic as we possibly can because there's so much history with tequila. Okay. So I want to get uh, get into a little bit more depth of, uh, of who you operate with, but let's bring in Rodrigo real quick as well to just introduce himself and let our listeners know exactly his role in the company. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. No, thanks I'm uh, Rodrigo. Mo- most people call me Roy for broad, easier. What I do in the company, basically, I'm the I'm the master distiller apprentice. Uh, my my dad is the is the master distiller. I I always say that I'm the apprentice because I don't have a big belly, a mustache, or that amount of white <laughs> white hair that my dad has. Um, and also because, well, I'm still learning, you know. And 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 also I'm I'm what corporations call as the COO, but basically I just enjoy myself by. By working with my dad and all the team in Tromba. 
So how did Tromba get started? Like when did you obviously grew up in Mexico in uh, in the tequila region? Like I'm just interested in how this all comes to be. Like your, when does your father decide that the, this is what he wants to do? He wants to make tequila. Well, he he started even before I was planned to be born. <laughs> that was his first job after um, graduating as a chemical engineer, and he came on board on a big company back then called Tres uh, Magueyes which eventually became uh, Tequila Don Julio. When he, when he started working there, um, he basically created the first 100% tequila agave. Uh, back then, as far as I, as I know, the only one was Herradura, and then he created this, uh, this other, other great tequila uh, because he's just stubborn. So even hiding in the backs of the, of the owners and breaking the rules and, and you know, over experimentations of, Three years with with no lab equipment, with nothing but his nose and his mouth, and, and you know, and all these kind of uh, people that help him. He created this great, great tequila. You know, years came by, and he decided to start doing his own stuff. So he was one of the first creators of, uh, uh, or designing the first, um, sorry, the first factories of agave syrup. He designed other factories of tequila for other people, and he started creating a lot of premium tequilas for all their brands and people. I, I was in, in university when, at the same time, Eric Brass and Nick Reed were studying in the same university here in Guadalajara. They were, they were here as an exchange. And they had this idea of creating the best tequila, right? So funny enough, we got graduated from that. They came into Mexico looking for the best master tequila. They never thought about me, of course. And they came into an office. They knocked on the door, and it was me on the door, like, how you doing? Like, what are you doing here? And, and then <laughs> Nick said, "Well, I was told I, I was told that here was the best master distiller, so here we are." And and they brought this idea of, of creating a great product uh, named Tromba. And my dad and I decided that we 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 would like to be part of it. But he set up some rules. First of all, he said in his own words, "Guero's out of the kitchen," which means it's my kitchen, not your kitchen. You cannot right. tell me what yeah. to do because this is. This is my heritage, you know? Yeah. And two, we have to own part of the company because he was tired of being the guy behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And from there, it just, it just exploded. Like uh, probably, I think this year we accomplished 11 years ago that we started. And there you go, man. Like, like basically, as he says it too, because I'm not, I'm not saying this, but as my dad says it, we are using his pedigree in the tequila and his face and his charm and his knowledge uh, in order to create a great product. We're not the best, but we're always trying to be the best. Uh, we're doing always our best, and hopefully people will love it. Hmm. Uh, so where was your father working, like, directly before you guys jumped in here? Who was he distilling for? Just uh, before Trauma, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Before Toma, we were just making products for random companies and people, like premium products, basically. Oh, okay. Uh, and so where did the name Tromba come from? Well, Tromba, it, it comes from, you know, something we appreciate as a father and son is, is this family heritage. Um, basically, my young years and my dad's young years uh, happened in the highlands of Jalisco. So whenever you see these people, the Jimadores, cutting off the agave from the ground, and you see that their families as well, like us. Uh, the people working in the distilleries are cousins, brothers, sisters, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we thought, how, how can we 
show this appreciation for the terroir and the people and the environment that is not in the traditional way. And, and we, we all thought that the water is, a, is an element that is very flexible. So, you know, tromba in Spanish are the big, fat, purple rains that come in the beginning of the season. And that is the beginning for everything. You know, in, it, it, it put water in the soil, the agave grows. Uh, like, the water is very, very important for the distilling process and the flavor of it. So we just thought, you know, the rainstorm, the, the tromba is a big way for us to describe my dad being stubborn, my business partners and myself and our team being stubborn, you know, and like the water can be soft or can shape rocks, you know, like all this energy around it. Uh, we just thought it was great. Can you describe a little bit about what goes into the process of uh, distilling the tequila and, and the different disti- uh, distinctions like your añejos and what have you? I think something really important here is, you know, we've been abusing or the, the, mar- the market has been abusing the word craft without knowing what it actually means. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> everything is craft, yeah. right? Yeah. So in, independent, independently from, from the amount of liters that you produce, for my personal perspective, craft means the interaction between you the raw materials and the machinery is not that we have somebody there just following numbers and processes is it's the interaction that we have with it so the very first years of training for myself as a master distiller uh, was precisely that smelling touching tasting walking around talking to people because the people is, is a very important element of our brand um, and then all the all the all these calculations are very easy, right? So I would say that the first part is to understand that the the, the lab the laboratory doesn't dictate what what a product is. It's it's the feelings, you know. Like I'm not an engineer. My dad is an engineer. I don't have this technical knowledge, but I do have a lot of feeling that he made me create by living within the distillery. So when you get familiar with these aromas, you know, like like you know if something is going wrong or not. So that that would that would be that would be the first part, and, and this goes all the way back to the to the agave field. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's a, it's an agave that agave plant that it stays in for six seven years. There's a lot of people taking care of it. I've been having troubles creating a fire so people can have breakfast in the fields, and they obviously joke around it because they are like, "He comes the city boy, so turn on the fire so we can heat our breakfast." And, and just, <laughs> you know, you can take an you can take an hour trying to do that. And these guys come in, uh, in there and then li- uh, like light up a fire in, in five seconds. Um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that even that interaction, even that interaction with, with, with the humans, with the raw materials, the, the way the, the agave plant grows, the way they cut it off from the ground, uh, how much of the leaf do you leave on the, on the agave before it comes into the, into the distillery will then transform into flavors for the product. And, I would say that something that is, how do you call that? Like, like the key points are how we do the hema, like how we cut off the agave from the ground, the way we cook it, it has to be very, very sweet, not bitter. It has to be sweet. It has to be sort of tender. Um, and then is bringing all of that into the uh, factory of flavors and aromas, as we call it, which is the fermentation, which is a gist 
uh, a mixture of G's independently in different tanks that my dad and I picked ourselves, our own G strains. And then we distilled in a very cautious way, in a very slow, cold uh, manner, so we can grab the alcohol that we actually want from it. And, and it's not about being efficient. It's about getting all of those things that we love. And at the end, hopefully you'll have a great tequila. I'm not, I'm not sure if I was very poetic or that was what you asked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I, I like how you describe it, like coming right from this, the water to the agave plant, the whole process. And, and I find it interesting, you talking about like walking through a distillery and just being able to smell whether something's off. Like how do you develop something like that? Is that just because you've been, you've been living there for and immersed in tequila your whole life? Uh, I think so. You know, like if we would talk about statistics, you would say that after repeating a process at least 10 times, you can say that you have dominated that process. Mm. But in the tequila, you are dealing with a, with a, with a plant and it's unpredictable. So I learn more from mistakes than from, from something well done. So what we've been doing is just being in the factory smelling and tasting as much as we can. And that's how you start creating this library in your head of <laughs> flavors, aromas, and all the no's and all the yes. It's like an internal process that is not the same for everyone. So it, it takes a little bit of training, but I can tell you that I spent at least, I don't know, like I grew in the factory since I was about eight years old. I'm 36 right now. So I spent most of it just... Uh, just as a dog, you know, like smelling and tasting. And, and it's not only the last five years that my dad actually made me do some numbers and chemical calculations on the paper. Because that was the easy part for, for right. the guy. Is, okay. Own words, you know? uh, Nicole, I wanna, I'm, we're not ignoring you. I'm going to bring you in there in a quick second. It's just pretty fascinating going through this process. But uh, so it, w let's say you walk in. I'm just curious about this. Like for laymen like us, like I know say I'm making a cocktail behind the bar and we all, you always taste the cocktail before you send it out because sometimes like little things like the syrup is a little sweeter than it was yesterday or or maybe it's gone off a little bit or like it's a, a certain like if you're using lime fresh lime juice that can vary in um, acidity um, <laughs> and so uh, so we know we're trained to make those adjustments like oh if it's, if it's a little too acidic you can add a little bit more syrup etc before you send it out so how do you do that in the distilling process like you walk through you're smelling it you're tasting it something's not right how do you modify it oh you were talking to me i thought you're still talking to you yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i was like i was like how is gonna nicole respond to that, that, would be that that's what we're gonna try on this show i'm gonna just start asking her questions about distilling and use questions about marketing and just screw it all up <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was an interesting question uh okay so the question is how do we uh correct the bad from the good one yeah or something like that, like what right? is, is something you add or take away or whatever well, you know, there's not, uh, when you're as small as we are, there's no a lot of room for mistakes. Mm. So that's why we have to be in each part of the process. You know, like since the, since the agave arrives into the distillery, uh, into the fermentation, obviously there are ways of fixing stuff, but the only way to fix that is if you measure what you're doing. And we love to have data on our hands, especially because my dad, every time in every batch, he wants to explore something different. Still tastes like trauma, but every time he tries something different. So I have mm -hmm. to document every single part of it. So for example, in the fermentation, 
if it's going the wrong way, I have a measure of how many cells per milliliter there are in, 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 this, uh, in this fermentation tank. So I can just see if, if it's the viability of the cells or not, if it requires more nutrition or not, if the temperature is wrong or not. So we have these we, we have to create ourselves this buffer of time mm-hmm. to, to correct stuff, right? I think in, in all the trauma productions, we have probably one that went wrong and we just send it to other brands. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, Dan said it. I didn't say it. <laughs> um, thank you, Dan. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I think I think we've been lucky enough, but uh, there's always a way to correct. And and the only way, if I can be honest with you guys, is being there. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're not there, we have no room to correct uh, the, the course of action, and it's cost a lot to us because we're still a small company. Yeah, so everything imagine, is about. Yeah, I can imagine like losing a like a job, like any losing any is the, the not is like a major cost issue for you. Like just losing any batch, like. You, Small companies can't really afford that, right? So, yeah, and it's not like a cocktail, you know. Like, ah, yeah. I screwed up the sweetness of it. Then let me add this. No, yeah. we don't add anything. So, if if mm-hmm. something goes wrong, it goes to the trash. Right. And lucky for us, it hasn't happened that much. That's Only good. one. Okay, Nicole, well, I'm gonna. It, it's your turn to talk. This is well, exciting. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about exactly what your role in the company is. Like, I know you're the in charge of global marketing. So who are you dealing with on a day to day basis? Like you wouldn't touch as far down as like dealing with individual reps, I'm sure. But are you dealing with the global ambassadors or or is it more big picture stuff where you're just how to get the message out overall? It's, it's a bit of both, actually. Like Rodrigo said, we are a small company. So, you know, we're not really in these like siloed roles that we don't go up and down. So, okay. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I work directly with some retail, like some retail chains if they need specific work done and even a lot of on-premise accounts. You know, okay. on-premise is really where we got our footing and how we became a brand that people knew. Mm-hmm. Um, people like yourself, we have the Great bartenders who make fantastic concoctions really became the darlings of our brand. And oh well, I appreciate that, but I'm definitely not that guy. I'm the guy who I'm the guy who pays the guy to do that. <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I used to do that, but now I've lost all that knowledge. <laughs> you know, we never want to turn our back on the people who are supporting us. So yeah, I am absolutely not above having a conversation with a, a small bar owner. And of course, we do have different sales reps and sure. you know, fabulous personalities who go and have that one-to-one conversation with people. So, you know, that's that's really the basis of our business. But COVID really did bring to light that we have to be a little bit balanced between the on-premise and the retail side of things. So a big part of my job right now is to do more of that B2C marketing. Um, you know, make sure that the average consumer, when they roll into the LCBO or wherever they buy their spirits, um, that they actually think of Trombo like it's the name mm. on their mind. And, you know, the whole thing, every marketer's dream is get on the grocery list, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> tequila, you're going for trauma. And that's that's sort of my job is to to get us, move us up into that list. Uh, yeah, and okay, so let's so begin to talk to a little bit about your plan of doing that. Um, I, I think like trauma is very uniquely situated in a way, in a weird way, because it is like on par with anything you're going to drink, um, if uh, better than most and certainly not worse than any. And um, the, but it's not like crazy out of control priced either. So that's like a real event. Like I recommend it to people all the time because, I mean, 
everybody's got their personal favorites, but like it's it's kind of like just so we don't have to like compare tequilas because that could be insulting. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but like if you um, let's say for instance vodka, like I don't understand somebody paying what they pay for Grey Goose when they could just have like Stoli. Like, you know, like so, so, like something like that, whereas like you guys are at the high end, the highest end of like actual flavor experience. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not the same as like paying for like even Casamigos or uh, Patron. Like there's, it's, it's, your pricing is lower. So how do you pull that off? And uh, is that, does that work into your marketing strategy? Absolutely. Well, so how we pull it off, one of the big ways is that we don't pay for some big celebrity to represent our nah. brand. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys, you guys don't show up for free. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess. So our, you're talking to one of our celebrities, you know, Marco right. and Rico, they are our celebrities because they are the backbone of the industry. You know, we really lean into that authenticity moment. So mm-hmm. anyone can pay, if you've got the money, anyone can pay for anyone to be the talking head. Um, but we've decided to be the antithesis of that. It's a very crowded market. There are new celebrity brands coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. And we decided to play in our own space. And it's really leaning into this amazing craftsmanship. I mean, Marco has 40 years of experience. Mm-hmm. And really, Rodrigo was very, he was very shy with the amazing renegade that his father and Rodrigo <laughs> now, like, with him have become. Like, he literally made the first batch of 100% Blue Weber Agave Tequila. Like, it was something that... Oh, really? Before. So See, he, Rodrigo, this is the shit you're supposed to be telling us. That's why you bring the marketing lady with you. <laughs> no, sorry, continue. No, no, no. But, like, Marco literally, like, in secret, hiding casks uh, that were aging, like, literally in a basement, Ooh. really completely single-handedly changed the scope of what tequila would be. Like wow. he is that master of that premiumization moment. And we're so lucky that he decided to do something again, very different. Instead of just being the master distiller, you know, he wanted to own every single part of that process and be an owner. And again, that's another thing that we really lean into. Like we are distiller owned and mm-hmm. operated. And yeah, so like it's it's the real shit, you know. We're yeah. not for the pomp and the circumstance of someone else to talk about how great we are. We're just focusing on being great. And I think, uh, sorry, let me interrupt you, but I think that that's like, it's kind of almost what you had. Like, obviously, I don't know anything about your job. I'm not going to try and pretend that I do. But like, <laughs> but just from like a, an outsider's perspective, it, since you you are a smaller company and you don't want to pay for a celebrity to endorse it, it sort of just makes logical sense to lean into just the history of the family, what you do well, and that's how you stand out. Exactly. And mm. it's harder than you think because... Um, you know, realism is something I think really in the age of social media and like Instagram. And, you know, we all have that what we see on Instagram. And sometimes the lines become a little bit blurred as to what's reality in there and what a person actually looks like, even what a person looks like mm-hmm. the Instagram face versus their real face. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in marketing as well, because so much of marketing and media is filled up in this social space. And instead of having really stringent sort of advertising rules and regulations and processes, it's kind of whoever can put, anyone can put whatever they want out there. So it does get very crowded. Mm-hmm. And the tequila industry in particular is just very, very crowded. Everyone says they're authentic. Everyone says it's 100% Blue Weber Agave. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of talking points that a lot of people are just sort of picking up on without a lot of sincerity. 
So, ah, so is that like literally a real thing that some people are saying it's 100% and it's not? Well, it might be 100%, but then there's a lot of uh, flavorings and a lot of... Ah, gotcha. like, you know, like everything in life, there's always, there's the fast way to get there and there's the real way to get there. So, mm-hmm. and again, we don't want to call any brands out or anyone out in particular. Um, but yeah, we just try to really make sure that everything we do is is very real and very consistent. And- Are you sure? Because I think that would drive some headlines for the podcast if you could just <laughs> seriously call out some other places. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm not asking to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's a great strategy. I mean, like, it's kind of sort of you're just leaning into the lane that makes sense for you. So, Rodrigo, what is the level of production that you're that you're doing in a year, let's say? Um, right now, I mean, around in, in, in bottles, let's talk about bottles. Mm-hmm. I'll say we're around 350,000 bottles of Blanco a year. Um, you know, every every month we produce about 15,000 liters of 50 percent alcohol volume. So we're still in the in the low range, you know. We're still small, but it's more more or less about there. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, that still seems like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like I, don't, I it's not the world that I live in, but like so for a point of comparison, like what would Cuervo be blasting out a year? Ah, uh, no, we're very very small. Like uh, yeah. we we should be around twenty five thirty thousand cases, twelve liters. You know, mm-hmm. and there's other brands. The big brands should be around two hundred fifty thousand cases. Uh, 70,000 cases that's a normal big brand so uh-huh. we're still petite comité right you know? and you guys are doing like you don't deal with like you have a distribution company like a Diageo or something like that right you are you are still just doing this all your on your own no we actually do oh, deal so, oh, you do? Okay. Uh, so in Canada, I mean, every every country, every province, every state, they all have different rules. Um, so in Canada in particular, if we were a beer company and we produced our beer in Canada, we would be able to sell it directly to the consumer. Mm-hmm. But we cannot because our product is imported. So anything we do, we actually have to go to distributors. So distributors come in and they present us. They'll sell from a distributor, will sell to the LCBO as opposed to the LCBO right. buying directly from us. and same in the U.S. It's um, you need a lot of people on the ground, you know, to mm. go into the bars and talk to people. And you know, yeah. when the retail display, they've got to set it up. They put the neck tags on. Like they have the conversations with the retailers. So because we're so small, it really does make sense for us to look to a really great partner to help us expand. And mm-hmm. in the U.S., we actually just signed on with Sazerac. Oh, nice. And we're with uh, we're dealing with two of their um, sort of brands within the brand. So we have 375 Park Avenue Spirits, which is our main distributor. And then we also have, brand, oh God, Bond and Royal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And they're like really focused on high-end cocktail uh, cocktail bars and specialty retail stores. Sort of stuff. So. Oh, nice. And so like, would you say that uh, obviously it's something you're legally obligated to do in Canada, but would you, I get the impression that you feel like it would be, it would have been a good strategy regardless? Uh, yeah, it would have been, I mean, it just, just takes a lot of people on the ground to get, mm-hmm. the, oh, you know, I'm sure you're very familiar with like Diageo and Campari and all those yeah. guys. When you have a salesperson come in, they'll represent a portfolio of products. Mm-hmm. And so being on that portfolio, we can hit a lot more places and get a lot more, sort of get a lot more um, airtime if we're with a with a group. But you want to be right. careful who you're with, you know, as with everything, there's there's better partners than others. And we're super excited about being part of the Sazerac portfolio because those guys are they're just taking ass down there and we're, we're really happy to be with them. Yeah. And the, and everything they, 
like I, I mean, I, I know from uh, there's some personal, so my personal rep who deals with Sazerac and Buffalo Trace and all those. It's all a very high end sort of product, and and that's the other thing you don't, you like. I would imagine that you need to worry about is not being lumped in with and like like you guys aren't going to do it, so we'll just do it. Like I can slag other brands, but like <laughs> like you don't want to be lumped in with people pushing Smirnoff or etc. Right? Like you want your and it's the same with like what I do building a bar like. I don't want Smirnoff on my shelf because it sort of devalues what I'm trying to do as a concept. Exactly. I mean, it's like that with everything, you know, like you're not going to be hawking a beautiful Gucci bag with like Mark's work warehouse jeans, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you unless, wanna... unless you had a choice of the bag or the jeans <laughs> in your budget. <laughs> but yeah, no, exactly. No. And I think that that's, um, and I know just from a bar owner, like, Get, like you were talking about earlier, getting the boots on the ground, like it makes a big difference to me when you have representatives because we're we, we're in a small town. When when a rep comes in and shows us attention, it makes a difference, right? And we're more likely to support the brand as a result. Of course, you know I think all this stuff it starts from relationship building. You know, like we're not the only tequila game in town. <laughs> no, we have options, no. but you know it's always great to work with people who you like, work with people who respect you, and you know who help you out. So we've got, I mean, especially we've got a couple amazing, amazing trauma employees like Juki and Michelle and Pete, and they have cultivated fantastic relationships with us across Canada and in the U.S. and you know, through COVID, it's been a real struggle for a lot of a lot of people and a lot of our very dear friends in the industry. Mm. And they keep those they keep those relationships alive. And you know, I think it's there's a lot of value in that. So it's mm. something we never want to walk away from. We'll never be entirely distributor distributed. Um, but for the you know, for like to be scalable, we kind of do have to make those partnerships. And and they're yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they're good. That makes sense. Okay, so Rodrigo, can you talk to us a little bit about all of the different tequilas you're offering and, and how they're different? Just for, we, we tend to have like an industry-based listener and industry-based listeners, so a lot of them will definitely understand the difference between tequila, but we do have some more lay people who listen who maybe don't even know the difference between, say, Blanco and Yeho. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and then also mention, talk about any products you might have coming down the pipe that we don't know yet know about. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, tequila is, is we can divide it in, in two different things, categories and class. Categories have to do with the raw material you use, and the classification has to do with the months of aging within a barrel, right? So there's two categories, which is the all-known mixto, which is uh, other sugars and at least 49% of uh, agave sugars or sugars that come from the agave. And the 100% agave, which is fully made with the plant. We are under the umbrella of the 100% agave. And then we go to the classification, which has to do with the time. The youngest of all of them, if you could say it like that, is the Blanco, because it, as, as long like the way it comes from the distilling, it goes into dilution and then into the bottle. And that's it. Hands down, we're done. Um, and, and sorry, and just, to cut, just to cut in here real quick, which is sorry, just to cut in here real quick. And is that is that why a lot of people say that Blanco is the most pure way to like a lot of real tequila heads go to Blanco because it's the purest way to drink tequila? Yeah, exactly. Because you don't have anything there that is, you know, on the way of the flavors and the aromas. And there's no way you can hide a mistake in a Blanco mm-hmm. unless obviously you're putting you know, like fake stuff in it. Right. But yeah, that's, that will be considered the, like the real one, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you have Reposado. 
Then we have reposado that, according to the normativity, it has to be at least two months in the barrels, 200 liters barrels. We leave it for, depends, six to eight to nine months in wide oak barrels that were once used in Jack Daniels. Um, the period of time depends on my dad's palate and my palate. If, if we like it, he goes into the bottle. If not, then he goes back into the barrel until, until he's ready. Then we have the Añejo that it has to be in barrel for 12 months at least, but trauma goes from between uh, 18, 20 months, depends depends on how the product evolves in, inside the barrel, and that's what we call the Añejo. We, a couple of years ago, we released our first Extrañejo. Uh, for the Extrañejo to be named as such, it has to be three years in the barrel at least, but we left it there for uh, you know, over over seven years. Oh, wow. um, it was actually the very first batch of tequila blanco that we ever produced. We put it there and we just forgot about it. Uh, <laughs> even when we needed, I didn't touch it. And um, and we, <laughs> yeah, because you know the market, they were like, "I need reposado and añejo," and I'm like, "No, there's nothing. You have to wait another month." And then I had that barrel over there, you know, like just waiting. <laughs> and um, and the magic about that product is that it was so little amount of liters that the way it came out is how we put it into a bottle. Like okay. basically we didn't dilute, we just filter it with very, very small filters and then we just put it in the barrel. I mean in the in the bottle. We might have some extra añejos. Uh, Nicole correct me if I'm wrong or if I should not say it, but yeah, like, <laughs> we're gonna have some extra añejos coming out in the market. Very special editions for uh, different barrels. And we also have a, a surprise that I cannot tell you about my dad this year. Or, oh, amazing. Or yes. I don't know, Nicole. Go help ahead. me out. <laughs> no, he's not allowed to tell us. This, you could, this could be breaking news on our show here. <laughs> we'll, we'll, send you, we'll send you word before it goes out. <laughs> okay. See, that's great. Then we can you can look forward to an announcement on the industry podcast later before everybody yeah, else gets uh, it. Breaking news. I think what a lot of people don't understand, too, when, you, when they're talking about when, like for someone who's just walking into a liquor store buying a product, and they don't understand why, oh, in the case of tequila, Blanco is like the purest form, but Añejo is the most expensive. And generally people are are led like down the road of expensive is always better, uh, more expensive is always met, better. But in, in, in this process, Rodrigo, it's mostly about it's more expensive because it takes more time, right? Yeah, correct. Right. Correct. So that's so that's like and I think that that's something that maybe a lot of people just don't understand about what goes into how things are priced. I always say it's the same thing that goes into like pricing a cocktail at a bar, like the, well, it's the amount of labor hours that took to prep it and like whatever, all that gets factored into the cost. So in, in your mind, like all of your products, I'm sure. OK, let's let's look outside of trauma for a second. Like if you were drinking somebody else's tequila. Which, I don't know how to word this properly, but like, is in your mind, is there a difference between Blanco Reposado and Añejo in quality, or are they just different products? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I see them as a different, different product. You know, like each one of them, and and for me personally, it depends on the experience. Like, uh, where am I sitting, and with who am I sitting? Um, you know, because you can have a really good Blanco in a nice summer afternoon. Uh, but at the same time, if you are in the woods, then I feel like having an añejo and an icy car, for, for example. So uh, if I if I feel fancy, then I could probably make a, a cocktail, you know, like añejo with lime and, and agave syrup and champagne. Uh, it depends on it depends on 
on the mood and on the on the on the ambience on where you're sitting at. And I think, yeah, that's like because that's how I make it. You know, like it's a bunch of experiences. So whenever I see the product coming out, it, it's a different experience. Although I do must be very clear about this, it should taste the same along the line of products. You know, like the repo should be a little bit like Blanco, and Yeko should be taste a little bit like repo and a right. little bit of Blanco. It's so wrong when you taste the product that Blanco is one thing and Repo and Yeko is totally different things. That means something something went wrong along the way. So uh, in, in our personal case, yeah, in our personal case, our Repo is like, you know, it's like Blanco and let's, let's think as the salt and pepper is the wood. You know, a little bit of wood, but still Blanco. Añejo is obviously more wood uh, and less mm-hmm. Blanco, but, you know, like still there, the, mm-hmm. the fresh aromas are still in the Añejo. When you taste something, or, or when you see something, you know, like the color is so different. It's like, you know, maybe the barrel evolved differently, but not as a damn dark chocolate, you know. So you cannot, like, like for example, right here, I, I know the audience cannot see it, but this is Añejo and this is Repo. Right. You see, so, yeah. so the color different in, no, in the this color, specific batch. Yeah, so the color is not that different when we're looking at it uh, on the screen here. Maybe one day we'll dive into YouTube so people can see this shit. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, uh, but yeah, that uh, yeah, us looking at it, it was they're very similar in color, but they'll be very different in taste. Uh, but I, I, I really, bit, I, yeah, a little bit different. Sorry, yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that's something I've never even really thought of before. Is that yeah, it makes sense. Your Blanco should, like, your Añejo, even though it's been aged in wood for so long and taken on all the flavor of the wood, should definitely still have the original characteristics of the Blanco. Correct. Yeah, totally. So here's a question for both of you, and anyone can jump in, but so definitely tequila's really exploded over, like, the last decade. We went from, like, a couple of brands to, uh, like, just crazy saturation of tequila. And now, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. It can be both at the same time, actually, because there's a lot more product out there to for people to taste. It probably means there's a demand for it, but it's also it's, you face a challenge of like, how do we make ours stand out? So maybe you can talk to me a little bit about the challenges of that. And I also the other thing I've noticed, like more recently, even like in the last couple of years of tequila really becoming people's go to drink. And the reason I get a lot of the time is like it's a it gives you just a nice, clean, different sort of buzz than almost any other type of liquor that you can try. But also the hangovers aren't as bad. I think that's the big one. Hangovers aren't as bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the nice thing about that's one. I'll talk about the good stuff. And I think from uh, from the supply, um, so demand part, I'll talk about the supply part. Roderick, you talk about it. Okay. From a demand part, I think that's the sort of the resurgence, or not even recently, the resurgence of tequila is that it's sort of replacing your other clear spirits because it does have that great versatility to be in cocktails, and yet it's interesting enough that you can enjoy it on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, vodka on the rocks is not that interesting. No, yeah. <laughs> right? So, and it's, you know, and also like it feeds into so many of people's dietary things right now. It's gluten free, it's no sugar, it's. You know, it's so it's oh. free. It's, it's all that kind of stuff. But also from our perspective, it really allows us to be a lot more creative when it comes to new products. So on top of the classic tequilas, you know, we're also getting into the RTD. So we've got ready to drink lines that are coming up. And, you know, so there's margaritas, there's a Paloma, there's a Trombosoda. They're going to be in a can, 5%, totally great for summer drinking, easy to go. So 
you know, because tequila is now known as being a very mixable drink, we can move into that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also do a lot of really fun things uh, with frozen stuff. Like you can have like a Paloma or a margarita on tap um, versus, you know, just always having to have a mixed cocktail or we make freezies. So Mm. we've got a bunch of cool recipes to play into that sort of summer fun festival kind of thing. So because it's such demanding, it's no longer seen as like, like, you know, shop, like, let's be honest, we've all... We've all had bad tequila moments, you know, yeah. we've all had spring break and too many shots of cheap tequila and woke up feeling not so great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, I think we've all, here's the thing for, like, I'll just speak to my own experience. I think it, a lot of people would say the same thing is that in our twenties, we were drinking shitty tequila and shots of shitty tequila. Uh, I'm looking in your direction, Cuervo. And, uh, and then you, you end up, like blackout drunk with a terrible hangover and it also it just doesn't it just doesn't fucking taste good let's be honest like so people are it's always that shot like oh who who bought the round of tequila whereas now people are like oh like yeah let's drink some tequila like things have really changed and that's because of this sure i would love some tequila speaking of the devil Uh, (laughs) dan has just shown up for those who can't see which is everybody with a little trauma for us here so we can uh have a have a drink um but yeah like i think that that has really changed the whole um thought process around tequila right now has really moved in a direction of like the high-end products that like like a tromba offers and that's got to be great for you guys do you have any thoughts on that rodrigo oh i think yeah, we, um, there we go. yeah I, I'm, I'm there i was in mute um <laughs> i think one interesting part of what what you guys were saying and 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 is that tequila has been very dominant in the market because the amount of flavors that the product has by itself, you know, like the Blanco, uh, identify in the laboratory, it's very complex. It's over 130-ish, I think, uh, flavors and aromas that you can actually detect in the lab, and they're still continuing, like, discovering new ones versus the older beverages that need the... Have to be within the barrel so they can get those flavors and aromas. So here you have a beverage that by itself needs blanco. It's already very complex, and you don't need to to bring anything anything else. Like basically, wood was because you know the market needed and we were used to it. And because the tequila back then it was awful uh, before my dad uh, in creation. So you you needed the wood to make it make it more 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 smooth. Mm-hmm. So I think right now people is kind of kind of identifying that part in the, in the tequila uh, industry, which is something that, if I may, I, I personally get mad when I see other celebrities creating these because, uh, you know, like, whenever you have... Let me explain it this way. In one liter of tequila, let's say like that, or, or even, yeah, let's talk about tequila. In one liter, only eight milliliters of that liter is what makes the difference between the master distiller from this master distiller to another master distiller. In other words, yeah. 992 milliliters of that liter, everyone can, can create that because basically oh. it's 600 milliliters of water, 292 milliliters of alcohol. That's easy. You can mix water and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the rest, which is 8 milliliters, is what makes the difference between one tequila and the other one. So whenever there's a celebrity coming on board, I'm pretty sure they don't have the knowledge to create the difference of these eight milliliters in one liter of tequila. They just pick one that somebody probably, you know, fake 
fakely, and and they don't have this appreciation of the Blanco, for example, by itself. It's not. It's obviously it's about the people behind it. Obviously, it's about the plant growing for seven years in the field for eight years. It's obviously about the, the time being in the barrel, but it's also about these eight milliliters that it makes a difference. All this complexity within the product that we haven't even finished identifying the flavors and the aromas. So that that's super fascinating. Like I never would have realized that it was that, but but that eight milliliters is the whole difference. Like that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And I'd like not to call anybody out, but let's say you're like a super famous actor who's partnered with like a super famous model and can buy up a bunch of agave plants in Mexico. Like the, what you're saying is they don't have the same kind of knowledge. They can hire a distiller or whatever, um, but it's not the same as like someone like you, where your family has essentially been immersed in agave your whole lives. Yeah, well, we were not creating in a lab. In a marketing lab, we just we just do what we love, and and it happens to be successful some way, and we're just proud of, you know, sharing it with 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 everybody, you know. Well, it, it it's it's super cool to talk to you because like you could one thing that definitely comes across talking to you, Rodrigo, is the sense of pride you have in your accomplishment and your family's accomplishments. And like I don't know, man, we're drinking it right now. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's coming across. <laughs> what do we have here? The reposado? No, Neo. Yeah, delicious. Let me back to you, Nicole, for a second. And, and talking about the what you were talking about, like the, the sort of pre-mixed products that you're coming out with now, uh, that seems like where a lot of places are going. And is is the reason, again, just this, the, the simple, there's just a huge demand for that now? Um, I think for us, we really, we don't like to walk into spaces just because there's space to be had. Uh, we really took a different approach. Like looking into a lot of the RTDs, we really found out that the the poorest ingredient in most ready to drink beverages is actually the tequila. So um, we're one of the first on the markets that we're actually using our 100% Blue Weber Blanco tequila. So instead of just having this ready to go, like ready to drink beverage that has tons of sugar in it and like bad um, bad spirits, we you know we just think our there's a clientele out there who wants to have that premium experience with the convenience of it all. Mm -hmm. so ours are they're really authentic cocktails they're really like they've got natural flavors that we i mean we tried to go 100 all natural but we had to add just a couple of stabilizers to make it shelf stable um but it doesn't change the taste in any way we're still using organic agave syrup as our sweetener we're not using sugar so you know just to en enhance that kind of premiumness down the line like just because you want it in a can doesn't mean it should taste like sugar water yeah, that's a really good point. Like we're kind of in new COVID world, everybody's doing like to go cocktails, et cetera. And we're, we're no different at my bar, but that, that finding that balance of not just essentially giving somebody a, a lesser product because you have to stick it in a bottle. It's kind of, it's not the easiest thing. I, I thought it was just going to be a simple thing to do, but you kind of have to put a lot of thought into like to do it properly. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you guys are doing that as well, because especially with a, a product as high end as yours is, you, you don't want to, sully it by <laughs> sticking a bunch of simple syrup or straight sugar in it you know yeah well you know cane sugar is is plentiful and it's super cheap but it makes things sweet but it doesn't yeah. be that's not much of a, an authentic sort of mexican experience so <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing too like you know um sort of similar to how we how um, marco and rodrigo actually distill 
the tequila. We we create it for taste, not yield. And we want to make sure that we take that sort of mindset and that aesthetic into everything we do. So it might be a little bit more, but it's totally worth it. There's a real value proposition for that. And I'm happy to pay an extra 20 cents to have something that actually tastes really good. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like the difference in cost is not that significant. Um, in a lot of these products I find where people are, people either go with the, people can either just fall into this laziness of going for the absolute cheapest or the most expensive because they think it's going to be the best. Right. So it's kind of, I, I really admire what you guys are doing is trying to give people good value for high quality at the same time. And, and, and I, I can only imagine that it's a little bit more difficult to carve your lane that way, but the fact that you're doing it is admirable. And I like, I, I, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. This has been fantastic conversation, super informative. And uh, we are big supporters of Trombo. I love uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing <laughs> in cocktails. Like every bartender I've ever had is always asking me to start stock it on the shelf so they can use it in cocktails. So, well, you got a lot of fans here in Kitchener, at least, I can tell you that. And I really appreciate you guys coming on and talking about it. And we look forward to big things from Trauma in the future. And, yeah, let, let us know when we can break this news. We'll let you know. Send you a text. Thank you. I'm going to get punished by Nicole at the end of the show, but um, we will. We will tell you the news. <laughs> and um, if, I, if I may add something at the very end is... We feel you, we feel all the industry, we feel what everybody's struggling with COVID. We started and we're still on premise kind of brand. We're we ourselves struggling because of COVID. We're trying to do our best to support each other. And, and in my end, what I do is everything you see in Tromba, the bottle, the cap, the label, the case, everything is done by families down here in Mexico. And oh, that's really? my part on the chain. I'm not trying to make other companies reach. So, we feel all of you bartenders, all of you industry, and we're trying to do our best to make everybody go ahead on these turbulent times. And um, having said that, uh, Kip and Dan and Nicole, I appreciate a lot the time you guys have taken to, to have us. And hopefully we'll meet later on this year. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to have you down, you guys down to Sugar Run to do a little, uh, which is my bar in Kitchener, to do a presentation for and do like a sort of tasting night down there. That would be awesome. And now that I have you trapped on my show and my Zoom call, I can hit you up for this. So uh, <laughs> we'll stay in touch. That would be great. Thanks so much, Keep and Dad. It's been such a pleasure. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Great conversation. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks a ton.